On July 15th, the Boston Globe published an article about Felix being sued by consumers after recalling millions of sleep apnea machines in June. I'm Leah Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media and author of Beyond Se Habla Español, How Lawyers Win the Hispanic Market. And this is In Camera Podcast, where we like to arrive early to the discovery of a new mastered. our podcast private legal marketing conversations great welcome back how are you today good how are you leo great grace thank you very much for asking how's your week been going so far busy busy as i'm sure yours has been how about yours well thank you very much for asking grace i did not plan that question so i can get asked back but since you already asking i do want to tell you that this week has been a very exciting one as you very well know, we launched our big, our book, Beyond Sable Español, How Lawyers Win the Hispanic Market, this week. And I'm super, super proud and thankful uh, to anyone who bought it and reviewed it already. Uh, but we've actually landed on the bestsellers list, Grace, in Amazon. So that's actually uh, quite a remarkable accomplishment for ourselves. We did not embark into this project thinking or uh, necessarily aiming for that, but it uh, feels really good to see that the book has been well received and already starting to read positive comments of how uh, people are, you know, responding to this to the content that we that we created there. So it, it's great, Grace. It's a it's a fantastic feeling, and so yeah, it's been it's been a, a busy week, but it's been a, a a really enlightening week for us here uh, at Nanato Media. So how about you? I know you guys went to AAJ uh, this week. It took place. And again, we're always recording this episode a week before it gets published or a few days before it gets published. So AAJ took place uh, mid-July now and Persist was there, correct? Correct. Yes, we were there as the Persist group. Um, it took place in Las Vegas this year right. at the Cosmopolitan, which is you know different for AAJ. Um, particularly for the time of year. Um, so yeah, it was a, a pretty exciting conference. Um, I didn't physically go this time. Um, just my face was there on the booth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I did hear that there was, it seems to be a lot of people are just coming back, right? They, they want to yeah. get back to the norm, get back to their usual of learning things at AAJ because AAJ has always been, um, in my opinion, a good place for lawyers to learn. Yeah, um, and sort of get their CLE credits and and get up to date on everything that's going on with um, regards to the American Association of Justice. Uh, so you know, as the Lake Law Firm and as Jacovino and Lake, we've always supported AAJ. So to us, it's you know, it just makes sense to always be there, and that's kind of why we went. And also, you know, obviously to to try and uh, drum up some business development and just talk to people about the different things that we offer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it looks like they did, uh, you know, they, they went back to having a, a live exhibitor hall in there. It was a hybrid event, right? It was also available for those people who could not travel or did not want to travel to join the conferences online. So I think, you know, AJ has been very 
accessible in the way that they've approached going back to normal by making it sure that they are catering to 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 all types of needs that are still around in these times. But I must say, I, I am looking forward to hopefully next year on their next winter conference that they will have for 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 it to move back to its um, to, to to its normal uh, format as a whole, and also potentially. Uh, get back to 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 have a, a a big AJ conference, which I think is one of the things AJ is known for is for really gathering uh, crowds, a uh, big group of, as you say, kind of an interesting mix always of lawyers. You have very young lawyers, you have also very uh, well established and experienced lawyers all come together, and so it's always um, an interesting place to go and meet and network. And I must say, I'm personally looking forward to that. So yeah. Thanks for thanks for sharing, Grace. And Grace, so today we are about to have one of those conversations that personally are amongst my favorite. And that's kind of like the really, really, really early emergence stages of masters that are just kind of like getting a little bit of attention, if any attention at all. And that's because they're so recent or they're just beginning to transition into class actions or masters. So, Grace, because you're the expert here on all of that, please tell us what are we going to be learning about today? Okay. So, you know, I always got to give my disclaimer. I'm not an attorney. I play one on TV <laughs> <laughs> and on this podcast. No. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, so we're going to be talking about the two emerging torts of cool sculpting, and then the CPAP uh, ventilator machine. Um, so I know we kind of, you and I kind of mentioned this before we started and you hadn't heard about it yet. And uh, it's it's because it really is truly emerging and it really just kind of came out, uh, both of them, but one in particular, the cool sculpting is very, very new. Uh, so which one do you want me to talk about first? Let's start with the ventilator, Grace, because now that I hear it for a second time, I kind of think that at some point you may have mentioned it. But again, I remember maybe when it was last brought up, which may have been on an offline conversation, not necessarily on a podcast. It could have been that it was um, it had some complexity attached to it. And so I'll stop guessing and let you explain what is it that's happening with this particular one. So they're talking specifically about uh, certain models of the Philips CPAP ventilator. So the ventilator is for those with uh, basically lung issues. Um, and there's a specific item or part of the product that is degrading. And that is called um, the, basically it's called a polyester-based polyurethane. So it's like the, the foam or the sound damping foam that they use. It's apparently falling apart. And it's starting to cause uh, gases that are being released. And if anybody knows anything about ventilators, ventilators are meant to help people with lung issues. Yeah. So this is kind of doing almost the reverse. So there was this massive recall of the Philips Respironics ventilator, uh, CPAP, and also BiPAP recall. Um, this happened, I want to say, not that long ago. I'll give you the exact date in a moment. But... Um, that's what it basically falls under is it has to do with uh, exposure to this 
diethylene glycol that's being released or the gas that's being released in there um, resulted in 115 deaths in a two-month period. So, wow. Yeah. It, this was back a while back, by the way. So this is when they first had the ventilators kind of coming out. And when they realized that that had happened, the FDA uh, took care of it, said, you know, there's other things that have to be done. You need to fix this. And then they, so they fixed whatever the problem was. Again, this is back in 1930s. So ventilators have been around a very long time. Okay. So yeah. after that point, they were like, okay, FDA said, hey, um, it's a toxic chemical. You can't use this. So make sure that you remove this from your ventilators because it's a gas that could harm people. So given this history of diethylene glycol, hopefully I'm saying exactly the way it's supposed to be pronounced, <laughs> diethylene glycol, um, exposure in the U.S. and the recent exposure of humans to diethylene glycol, it's horrible problems that this is going to create for Philips, right? Because it's on the list of, um, what's the word that they use? The FDA uses a specific word that they say that this is on that list of volatile organic compounds, VOCs. Okay. So I know that we're talking a little too, a little scientific, but obviously, you know, a lot of these mass torts have to do with the very specific science of what it's causing. Yeah. So, um, Grace, you're, you're making me wonder here if you don't have like a hidden life as a pharmacist or some <laughs> sort, some sort of physicist or chemist, because your, your familiarization and confidence in pronouncing all of these different products and chemicals and agents is is quite commendable. I admire you, Grace. Thank you, Leo. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you guys a little bit about why I can speak that way. Um, my father is disabled. Um, he has no large intestine. So since I was a child, I used to actually review his medications and see how they would interact with each other. This was before they had any idea about what IBS, Crohn's disease, or any of those things even existed. Um, so I used to make sure that the interactions between the chemical compounds of one uh, pharmaceutical that he was taking wouldn't interact with another or wouldn't negatively interact um, within his body. And I know that that's what doctors are supposed to do, but I, you know, there's nobody that will take care of your family as well as you can. And um, I have caught a few times where the interactions would be more negative than the benefits of taking that particular medication for my father. So yeah, that's kind of why I know a lot and I'm able to specifically use these terms and fair, feel fairly confident that I'm using the right uh, pronunciation even of those words, just so you know. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Grace. And <laughs> every day I, I reaffirm my belief that you're one of the of the of the nicest and, and more given person in this world. So um that just doesn't surprise me, just reiterates what I already know about you. <laughs> Thank you, Lil. I appreciate that. So let's get back to the Philips recall. So on June 14, 2021, Philips issues a recall notification to essentially mitigate, and this is the verbiage they're using, mitigate the potential health risks related to the sound abatement foam component in their sleep and respiratory care devices. Mind you, Again, we go back to the fact that this is a ventilator. It's supposed to help them breathe, not actually cause right. even more harm than it's helping. So that's basically what's going on with it. It's There's uh, diethylene glycol 
it's part of the VOC or volatile yeah. compounds that is on the list of, you know, issues by the FDA. And that is what they found out was being released um, in that foam over time when it was degradating. So that's what's going on with that specific one. Do you have any questions about it? So 130 people are dead because of that. And, and straight that was, that straight was, connection yeah. attributed to that? Yes. Okay. And so what's happening now? So after the recall, now they are, um, at this point, they're basically pulling all the information together. Okay. And when you put the information together, uh, they the next steps in any mass tort has to do with um, creating the, uh, aggregating the data so that they find out how many people have been harmed by this specific product. In this case, it's client adverse action reporting. So they report this to the FDA. The FDA pulls together all this information. And then from there, it kind of goes to the different law firms that um, are involved in it and can get involved in it. And they decide from there, the bellwether trials and all of the process that gets involved with um, a mass tort. So um, I don't know if you really want to get into like how it becomes a mass tort, but it usually starts with the recall and that's where they yeah. are right now, um, gathering data and then figuring out where it's going to go from there. Grace, is there already some data available that's yeah. hard for me to say, um, only because okay. it's such a new thing and the recall just happened on June 30th, as a matter okay. of fact. So um, I'm sure uh, these are registered devices and they have to be given to you um, by, you know, basically a doctor has to almost prescribe yeah. this ventilator to you. So um, because of that, I'm sure there's numbers and people are aware of them, but now we're at the data gathering point. So they're going to need to uh, provide all the client adverse action reporting. And that usually comes from the doctor as well, not just the clients. So doctors can also report directly to the FDA that their their clients are experiencing XYZ issues. So Grace, from the marketing standpoint, it, it sounds here that it's a very traceable kind of a tort. Like you can very, very specifically and granularly pinpoint who are actually potentially being affected by it sure. because it, this is not a, a consumer product that you can just go get it, you know, consume it, and then and then nobody knows and there's really no records that of the interactions that you've had with it other than maybe your your you know your your receipts or or that sort of thing. Um, and so in this case, is is it common that the doctors are the ones that are going to be kind of putting forward the lists as to who are potentially likely to be a victim for it. How do the lawyers get to become, to represent uh, these victims? Like, how does that connection happen? So again, because this is so new, but uh, most lawyers, I'd say, um, basically know when there's an emerging tort. And again, it kind of comes from the idea of knowing that there's a recall happening. And if a recall happens because of product liability, that's what it falls under. So law firms that are involved in mass torts as a whole and product liability specifically, they know when there's something coming down the pipe or a lot of times they're actually contacted by somebody in their world of clients and they say, Hey, you know, I saw this, um, recall, uh, about 
for my ventilator. Um, what's going on? You know, I, I yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So it, it's a bunch of different data points that they kind of get aggregated and people that are aware of these things that are happening, um, see them. And so I can tell you that with the CPAP there, while there is no official MDL currently, the lawsuits have been consolidated and they already requested to have them combined into an MDL. So right. they're moving pretty quickly. And I think that's because of what you said. Uh, again, this is more conjecture rather than fact. Um, I think it's because of what you said. They are aware of these things and they um, and they saw these things happening. And because it's coming from a doctor and this is something that you can actually say rather than like Roundup, right? Where just people just go buy this yeah. stuff. No, this is right. being given to them. So yeah. the doctors are monitoring their patients already. Yeah. Um, and the doctors wouldn't have known necessarily that that their ventilator was the one causing this issue unless they saw this recall. So I think it's going to come from both. I think it's going to come from people using it and also from the doctors saying, hey, my clients, I saw this uh, device was recalled. My client was experiencing some of these associated injuries that people are talking about that you got, and that's why it was being recalled. So I think it's going to be a combination. Right, because I'm just assuming that doctors obviously cannot share their patients' information with a law firm. Of course they can't, right? No. But without them obviously first becoming a client, I'm assuming. So I, I still think that there will still be there will still need to be some level of marketing here done to raise awareness and then obviously encourage the, the patients to, to file their, their cases because the list... Don't seem to, if I understood correctly, there doesn't seem to be a path to get those. And even if there were, it would be solicitation, right? To right. Well, hey, we see that you've been here, you're eligible for this lawsuit. That That is not no. allowed. No, no solicitation. So you're 100% right. It's it's become, it's the awareness phase now, right? Because the recall went out and at most what you can do is let other people that know that this recall went out and if they were hurt by this uh recall or that particular ventilator, then they need to call to call us, right? Call the law firm, contact the people yeah. that are aware of this issue and have the knowledge to be able to get you through and get you through this particular case and litigation yeah. type. So, yeah. Even, even though 130 is a lot, it's not the same when 130 is out of a thousand, uh, 10,000 or 130 is out of a million. Right. Right. So if we talk about statistics, right? Sample size, what right. is sample size? Exactly. And yeah. and then where are these people located? Are there any patterns? Um, have they been more widely used? In particular, particular cities. In particular, yeah, particular yeah. cities, particular institutions during a particular period of time. Have they did, did some people stop using them, whether they were recalled or not after a certain period of time? I, I think that's that's what's gonna make this uh, critical, essential, fundamental to be able to then run any type of uh, campaign on this because it's already such a specific um, qualifier that it's um, gonna take quite a bit of uh, research and investigation. What are you, what are your thoughts? Um, I I agree with you completely on that, um, particularly. But the the good part about this. Um, in the sense that good part as in you're able to help them a little bit more than something like Elmoron as an example, uh, because it's related to the disease, right? So if they have 
a ventilator and they're having issues breathing and they're using a ventilator, at least they'll have an awareness of, oh my goodness, this is not working for me. Uh, whereas with like Elmeron, that was a bladder medication that was affecting the eyes and your macula degeneration. So there was no connection, at least uh, for the individual. So the awareness was very difficult to create um, or even have people understand, even from the doctor's side of uh, things, because it was a macular specialist versus a you know, bladder uh, primary physician or general practitioner or someone that specializes in, you know, um, in that part of the body. Uh, whereas this one, it's ventilator, ventilator issues, lung issues. So I do feel like this is, it, we, all of those data points are going to make a big difference as to um, how you're going to target or don't target or who you're going to speak to and who's going to reach out to you um, in terms of clients for this particular tort. I agree. Yeah. I do, Grace. So we have one more yes. and let's hear about it. So this one to me is kind of, um, I don't know if you call it exciting or what, but it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> let's put it that it way. Is interesting. <laughs> so many of you guys have, uh, gals or guys have heard of cool sculpting potentially, right? Um, so cool sculpting, like I should probably tell you what it is, right? It's, those advertisements, advertisements that you might have seen on TV where they talk about no non-surgical uh, fat removal, uh, no downtime. We freeze your fat. Um, it's a procedure called cool sculpting where they're supposed to yep. freeze the fat off of your body. Right. That's mm -hmm. that. We've all heard it, Grace. It's, <laughs> uh, yeah. I got to admit. I looked at it. It did seem like a, a pretty good idea to, you know, not have yeah. to work to get the fat off, but Hey, we all and when reality settled, you realize like there is no way, there is just no way this actually can lead to a good outcome. And as we are learning, because we're talking about it as being a potential class action or master, it turned out that it wasn't great. <laughs> so, so Grace. Thank goodness I never did it, right? And none of my family I, yeah. members did it either because yeah. um, I've always looked at things that anything that you have to do, not always, right? Generally speaking, yeah. anything you have to do to reduce your weight that is quick and in a hurry and is not an actual life change is not going to work, right? That's what yo-yo diets do. So yeah. cool sculpting, you know, I mean, just the, the yeah. longevity of it didn't seem like it was a good idea. So, but hey, the promise behind cool sculpting is that it was going to reduce your fat from 20 to 25% in a single session. That's a quarter of your body fat. That's a lot. Yeah. And that will entice just about anybody, right? I mean, you got to yeah, get yeah. rid of that stubborn body fat. And, and then if you yeah. can't get it to go away with regular exercise and diet, so this is it for you. Well, are you and sure you never wrote copy, Grace, for, <laughs> these, <laughs> for these advertisers? Because... You seem very fluent. <laughs> well, I got to say, I have to admit, I am not just a regular nerd, but I am a marketing and advertising nerd. So I actually go back and listen to full commercials because I am always so interested to see what people think is a good way of marketing something. Jingles yeah. and why, why do totally they do great. this, right? Totally. So I, I gotta admit, I mean, the cool sculpting commercials are pretty amazing. They they were great when they came out and you know, who doesn't want to get rid of stubborn body fat? Everybody does. So they just use really good words. <laughs> That's true. So this was the problem guys. Uh, as, as great as it seemed, uh, as wonderful as it sounded, 
it does have very serious side effects that a lot of people weren't made aware of or didn't even know about. Even the facilities, a lot of them weren't made aware of the serious side effects and how to properly deal with it. This condition is what they're calling um, the issue behind cool sculpting, and that is paradoxical adipose hyperplasia. The acronym people use is PAH or PH. So basically, according to the cool sculpting medical device manufacturers, uh, other side effects besides that uh, PAH is late onset pain that can last for weeks, right? Because I mean, they're freezing your body kind of as the idea. Um, development of a new or worsened pre-existing hernia. I don't think a lot of people knew about that one. Mm -hmm. Hyper pigmentation, which is like when your skin, you know, you get some weird uh, colors and issues in your skin. That's hyperpigmentation. Frostbite or freeze burn. I mean, very interesting, serious side effects. Not such great things, right? Um, no, not all. <clears throat> so there was actually a, a law firm that brought it to the table um, when one of their clients that they had, as I was saying before, sometimes your own clients can come to you because they trust you, right? They know, like, and trust you. And they're like, hey, have you heard about this? I, I experienced this after doing this procedure. Um, that seems like something's wrong. Well, that's what happened to this law firm. They were told by a by a client of theirs that they said, hey, I, I got this really rare side effect. Uh, you know, the doctors didn't even really haven't heard about it. They say it doesn't happen often. Um, and it was called paradoxal adipose hyperplasia. I'm sure they said PH or PAH as clients because not very many people could probably even pronounce that <laughs> side effect. Yeah. So, <laughs> when they came to them, they're like, wait, that just seems odd. And so that firm actually went and investigated uh, to see what this rare, quote unquote, because that's how they labeled it, was a rare side effect. They realized mm -hmm. it wasn't rare at all. And that the manufacturer of cool sculpting allegedly did not adequately warn physicians, the doctors yeah. that were actually applying this, the severity, permanency, or frequency of this very, uh, very serious side effect. So that's usually how something becomes a class action, right? They were failure to warn. Uh, yeah. The defect, failure to warn, uh, negligence. So there's a couple reasons why something becomes a mass tort. And in this case, they are alleging that they failed to warn the practitioners that use the cool sculpting device of this very serious side effect and how often it actually does happen. Yeah. So they minimized it, its, its impact. Exactly. And the, in their mind, the biggest problem that they're alleging happened was that many medical providers that operated this medical device didn't actually have an adequate understanding of the serious adverse effect. And they also don't know what they call the incidence rate, right? I mean, as a doctor, you need to know the incidence rate of a side effect because you need to warn or properly warn your patients of the device, the procedure, whatever it is you're using or doing to them so that they can make the decision after being right. properly warned. Yeah. A hundred percent. So and with a gravity, with a gravity that it of the situation. Of, yeah. yeah, totally. And sign off on the fact that Regardless of those yeah. side effects, I'm still willing to move forward with it, you know, exactly. and that, that would be adequately warned. But in this case, they weren't even, they were relying on the manufacturer to tell them as doctors yeah. how that this is happening more often than they're saying. So 
like with any medical device, right? That's has, that's what is always supposed to happen. Doctors using the cool sculpting device on patients must understand all aspects of the device, including any risks. So <clears throat> apparently they were relying on the manufacturer to tell them crucial information. And unfortunately they believe, uh, that they did not disclose the manufacturers did not disclose this vital information for them to properly warn. Yeah. So it, it's at the manufacturer level, you know, that that's yeah. what's happening. And so where, where are we right now? Do we know how many cases have emerged that have reported these symptoms? Uh, are, are there, is there any data already out there? Um, so there's not a whole lot cause this actually right now has become a class action. Um, the idea is that I think it will become a mass tort. Um, again, this is more of a gut feeling from seeing things happening, not, not specific facts or anything like that. But, yeah. you know, I think the, the difference, if most of you don't know a class action and a mass tort is class action is everybody kind of got hurt by the same, uh, the same way and in, in the same kind of, uh, hurt, right? So like the Takata airbags, I'll give you an example, Takata airbags, right? That's a device that failed and everybody, no matter what that device failed the same way for everybody. Whereas cool sculpting, the injuries that people are going to be getting off a cool sculpting device are going to be different. Um, and the severity of those injuries could be different, which is why I believe that this is going to become a mass tort, not necessarily Grace, class action. Help me clear out something while you're in the class action and mass tort differentiation. Mm -hmm. I was also under the impression that class actions are when people get injured or suffer some sort of loss as a consequence of a single event, right? But it's just a scale. Like for instance, I'm going to use the uh, Florida building collapse of a few weeks ago. That is a class action, correct? Like correct. that all of the big, any, everyone who's going to be victim there, those who uh, suffer the loss of someone or those who actually survived it, there is still going to be uh, plaintiffs of this class action. It's not going to be like that, that doesn't, cannot qualify. It doesn't transition into a master. Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. And, and so, um, in this case, this is being called class action, even though several doctors in several different locations have been using this procedure and this technology or equipment to perform these, uh, treatments into patients, but even though it's happening at different times, it happens in different places. It's, it's single still device. under the category of class action because? So my understanding of the reason it's why it's under class action is because it's a single device. It's, it's not, okay. I'm sorry, it's cool sculpting. It's the specific issue product device that is being used that is causing this problem. So I believe that's why it's a class action right now. Um, okay. Uh, we can add it to the uh, episode notes later. I'm going to find out from an actual attorney to give us that information um, as to why yeah. this one is classified as a class action versus a mass tort. The reason why I'm asking is because I'm curious here is if, if right now they're going specifically after a particular clinic, a particular location where people there are the ones who are getting injured, but it sounds like it's not the no. case. Like this no. is already an issue that has spread. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. So back to the data, what, what, what do we know right now? How many people may potentially have been impacted by this? You say it's too early, but what do we know? Uh, so on August 27, 2020, the law firm I mentioned actually filed a class action lawsuit against the manufacturers of cool sculpting. 
All right. For those who are suffering. So maybe this is why it's a, a not a mass tort. It's a class action is because they're spe specifying a single issue that is happening, right? A single event. Like you said, paradoxical adipose hyperplasia is what they're looking for as the single issue that is hurting all these people. So that's, I, I just saw it right now and I just actually read it on the uh, lawyer's website. And so that's why it's a class action is because it's a single event, like you said, single issue, single event, single problem that they're claiming is happening because mm -hmm. of uh, the cool sculpting. So right now, um, I don't have a whole lot of information on the number of plaintiffs or any of that because we personally are just getting into uh, cool sculpting and um, doing advertising and, and not advertising, but more br bringing awareness to people yeah. so that they understand that this is an issue and if they've been hurt that who they can yeah. come to us. So I don't have a lot of numbers right now. Um, that's actually would be a great follow up uh, later because um, I am starting to get numbers on CPAP um, and information and I'm also starting to get more information on cool sculpting. I'll probably have that in a couple of weeks, not days, yeah. but CPAP, um, I have more information and I'll have that on our next call. That's actually Really interesting, Grace. And I think particularly for CoolScope, it's going to be a very interesting master or class action, whatever ends up being the destiny of it, um, to market for. Because I think you have um, many different buyer personas that could have potentially been impacted by this. It would be interesting to see if it's affecting more likely a particular type of person with particular type of qualities. And that's going to help a lot in building your your audience, your segment. But I think um, people need to really uh, keep an open, open mind as to who could have potentially been the uh, victims of this procedure, because it's not as narrow as some people may already start thinking. It's probably quite diverse uh, and quite spread. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to I'm not gonna, monitoring this. I'm not going to tiptoe around what you just said. I'm actually going to say it because I'm a female and I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> Generally speaking, I know what you're saying. I do feel like uh, people will automatically in their mind go to the demographic of potentially overweight people who, you know, usually females and that type of thing. Now, I got to tell you, cool sculpting appealed to a lot a much broader audience than people realize, particularly because of the way their um, advertising went about uh, trying to appeal to people that not just overweight, but mostly people that were trying to get rid of body fat that they hadn't been able to for years. So it was also people that just wanted extra like love handles to come off that may have been healthy or work out or, you know, people yeah. that they just want a better body image. And so those people will also be part of that demographic. And so I 100% I agree with you. Yeah. Don't automatically assume that yeah. you know who's going to be a part of this class action. But, right. But but of course, I mean, it's going to be very in, important to, to to first identify what are the qualifiers, what are wh what's the criteria that needs to be met, and that may potentially further narrow down uh, how to segment these campaigns. Right. Well, Grace, thank you so much for sharing this. As I've said, it's always so interesting when you're hearing for the first time about, you know, these early stages, these early phases of how uh, a, a master or a class action is being identified that it's not necessarily that evident for the rest of the world, right? 
Um, and so we're looking forward to, to keeping our fingers on the pulse of these two and see where do they get into what they develop. So Grace, let's talk a little bit about a few takeaways. I'll start. If you want to get in shape, just work out and eat healthy food. <laughs> no, but seriously, seriously. Um, let's, let's, I mean, you know, it's been more so kind of like an awareness conversation here, but what are a few takeaways that we can learn out of what we're seeing or the way these, um, masters are, are developing? So my first takeaway, honestly, would be if you want to get involved in mass torts, cause that's what this whole conversation has been about is two specific emerging mass torts, sign up for the FDA recalls <laughs> because you will actually have a little bit of a leg up in terms of information that's coming down the pipeline and you can kind of make those decisions on your own that you see things happening and as a lawyer you have the background to make those assessments and logically determine that this is starting to become a, potentially an emerging mass tort so i would sign up for google alerts sign up for fda alerts and just you know start literally getting used to being informed of things that are happening from the FDA, because that'll be kind of your first notice in a way. Yeah, that, that makes 100% sense, Grace, right? There's already there a, a great place, a great venue to keep track of what's happening. And you've brought this up before, not as a takeaway, but as how you keep yourself up to date. And so I think that's a great, great tip there. What else can be done, Grace? So um, if you're not involved in mass torts, uh, but you want to be, and you feel like you're too overloaded with information because yeah, I mean, we all kind of are at this point, right? With everything gone remote, everyone's constantly on their phones. There's no break from information. Reach out to a resource. And I do say this all the time. You and I both have used this as a takeaway multiple times, but I cannot say it enough. Reach out to resources because exactly like Liel said, you can't assume certain demographics, but you can still specifically target what you are what you need to target once you have data that gives you that information. And you can't come up with that on your own. A lot of times as a lawyer, you're working in your business or the business of law, or you're actually doing trials. That's not necessarily something that you not don't have to spend your time in per se, but you can't focus on. And if you can't focus on it right, you need to speak to somebody who can and can help you get there. So reach out. There are resources out there. If you're listening to this podcast, reach out to myself or Liel, you know, at, uh, what is it? Ask to Grace, reach out to Grace. <laughs> if, you, if you call me, if you call me and you, and you ask me to, to, to help you uh, identify wh what are going to be the sources of these type of cases, at this point, I'm as lost as you are. I, I, I need for the lawyers to get informed and and then we can definitely help them out to fine tune those campaigns. So, but a hundred percent, you're right, Grace. I mean, there's leaders of mass torts, which is um, organization headed by you by Persist, and there's uh, other resources out there that are constantly putting out content and webinars and conferences mm -hmm. to give you the greatest and the latest on every single one of these mass torts, so you can a learn b find out which one are the right ones for your law firm or meet and network with the right co-counsel to, 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 or invest in one of these, uh, opportunities. So I, it's definitely, you know, figuring out there, there's a way and there's a place where you can figure out what's going to be your roadmap 
into a particular master or to masters in general. So that's a great starting place. Great. Well, we have room for one more. Anything in particular, Grace? Um, I think the last one would be um, define what your role is going to be if you do want to deal with mass torts. Uh, in other words, figure out whether you're going to be the investor, whether you're going to be the one that's litigating. If you're going to be the one who's just going to be doing advertising, figure out what your role is based on the tort and your interest in how involved you're going to be on that part of it. And I know that sounds very basic, but it's interesting how many times I've found that I don't think a lot of uh, attorneys necessarily understand the process of a mass tort per se, if they've never done it. And so there's so many different ways that you can get involved on a mass tort. Just like you said, Liel, you could be an investor, you could be a litigator, you could co-counsel with someone else. So make sure you know where you want to be after talking to the right people. What do you want to be involved in? How deeply do you want to get involved in it? Um, and what your role is going to be. I think that's, again, very basic, but I, I feel like it's important to mention because I find a lot of attorneys um, get lost in the shuffle yeah, and don't yeah, yeah. realize where they can best be served for themselves yeah. and for the client, right? Yeah, it's there's a lot of venues that you can take. It's not an all or nothing. And I think that's great. That's great. And that's what makes Masters unique for lawyers because it's kind of like very, very specific for them and tailored and available for them. But the decision as to how they want to approach it needs to come from them. And for some, it's very evident because it's it's not something that they have prepared uh, themselves to handle. So the decision is kind of like already made for themselves. They can either um, market, invest, or something around those lines, right? Uh, whereas in some other cases, uh, like if you're an injury lawyer or such, you may be able to do some of the of the legal work. And so I think, you know, it's very important, as you said, you need to, to do your your everything, like your, your cost analysis, like is it is it something that it's worth for me to try to handle in-house or can I get a better return on investment by um, investing or co-counseling and sharing uh, the responsibilities and the costs and other things so that I can focus on the other things that I have going on. So I think you're basically in another way reminding us that uh, Master is a way of uh, diversifying here, but how you want to diversify, how you want to use it to diversify, you know, there's different levels. And so that's that's for a law firm to be determined. But then again, right, you, you start by, by getting informed, building awareness. That's what this podcast is for in a way or another, mm -hmm. kind of like share those base level, entry level insights so that you can then take them to um, other places based on your research and potentially find the answers that you're looking for. Grace, thank you so much. What a great conversation. I learned a lot as always. And uh great thing is that we're going to be back in exactly one week doing the same thing. So I'm looking forward to it. Same here, Leo. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week. Thank you.